In today's episode, I want to answer some of the frequently asked questions that I often receive. Um, I answered these questions on our social media platforms, and I wanted to bring it to you guys that are listeners to the podcast. So as a real estate investor, as a deal finder, and as a wholesaler, you have to do some innovative things in order to find deals in today's market, in yesterday's market, and in the market in the future. So what I wanted to do on today is share some of these frequently asked questions and my responses to those questions with you all on today. So take a moment, let's exhale, let's take a deep breath, and let's get ready to jump right into the answers to these frequently asked questions. And in the future, if you have questions that you need answers to, feel free to join us on Instagram at MRCS Maloney, Facebook at MRCS Maloney, YouTube at MRCS Maloney, uh, and just slide into my DMs, ask the question, and I'll make sure I answer those questions for you or feature it on a podcast or on our YouTube channel. So without further delay, let's jump right into this episode of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. And I want to answer some of these questions that are frequently asked by our listeners. Enjoy. Just wanted to check in here and answer some questions, some live Q&A. Um, what happens is I talk to quite a few people and seems like there is a recurring, the same recurring questions that continuously come up. So I figured the best setting to do this is just to go live, answer some of these questions. That way it can reach more people and those questions can get answered and it can save me quite a bit of time because if I'm answering the same question to 40 or 50 different people, why not just have one setting where I can answer the questions and 40 or 50 different people get the answers versus spending a lot of time answering the same question over and over again. So if you're here, thank you for being here. My name is Marcus Maloney. You guys have probably already been in contact with me some form or another, either through Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, but thank you for being here. So we decided again to do this Q&A for you guys. That way you can always go back and take a look at it and have those answers in your database or you can save it in Facebook or however you want to save it. What I want to do is people always asking me about how to get started as a real estate investor. And just to give you some background about me, I've been doing this for over 10 years. Started out actually with the with moving cross country and was offered a position. And when I moved my family cross country to accept the position was rescinded. So I immediately had to find or other ways and resources in order to sustain our current lifestyle. We did have some rentals back in the Midwest, but again, it was just enough to sustain us, but not to get us where we wanted to go. So I found wholesaling, real estate wholesaling, and real estate wholesaling wasn't my end all be all. I always like portfolios of rentals, but the best way to find deals was to always try and find off-market deals versus on the MLS or going through a realtor, paying the realtor commission or realtor fees. And don't get me wrong, 
I'm not here to bash realtors or anything like that. I'm licensed in two states. I'm a strong advocate for realtors. And that's one of the questions that always come up. So we can start there. Should you wholesale if you're a licensed agent or should you get your license before wholesaling? So the answer to that is two parts. So should you get your license when wholesaling, it's not necessarily needed unless you're in, let's say, Illinois, where you can only wholesale up to two transactions before you have to have a license in a calendar year. So with that being said, if you're wholesaling in Illinois, you definitely do need to have a real estate license. One of the ways that I encourage people to look at the whole situation is if you're going to make this a true career. This is a career aspiration to be in the real estate industry. I say that there is no downside to being licensed. Um, you get covered by your ENO insurance. You have the opportunity to get pocket listings from the brokers that's in your brokerage. You have the opportunity to network with other realtors and you can see what other investors may not be able to see. And that is on the MLS, like private comments, on listings, private remarks, on listings. And it's just good to build that, build that network. One of the downsides to it, so I'm going to give you the plus and I'm going to give you the downside. One of the downsides is that there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of fiduciary responsibility. There's a lot of, there's a lot of disclosures that you have to present as a realtor, you have to disclose to people if you're looking to buy their property that you are a licensed agent in that state. If you have an LLC, you have to disclose that one of the buying members of the LLC is an active real estate um, agent or is a licensee. So it's just more disclosures on the licensee side, but I definitely see the benefits for being a licensed agent. So to answer your question, from my perspective, should you get a license in order to be a real estate investor or wholesaling? Yes, you should, but do you necessarily have to? No, you do not. Is there advantages for having a license? Absolutely. And there are some small downsides for also having the license, okay? So next question is how to start wholesaling with no money. A lot of people hear this via YouTube ads, Instagram ads or whatever. Hey, be a real estate investor, get started with absolutely no money down. You don't have to have any money in order to do this. Let me clarify. It's partially true and partially false. And the reason why I say that is because there's different marketing strategies that you can use. You can use something as simple as door knocking, where you just drive through the neighborhoods and you see a house that look like it's in distress and you go and knock on a door, see if somebody answers the door and then you try and make them an offer. But what I can say is you do need to have some money to get started. We work with people that are just getting started. We ask them to make sure you outline what your budget is. You know, if your monthly budget is $200 a month that you can put towards real estate investing, or if it's $20,000 a month, you need to have that budget outlined that way you know what kind of marketing strategy you can use because some marketing strategies are more 
costly, such as PPC or direct mail versus some of the lower end marketing strategies like cold calling or text messaging or driving for dollars. Yes, you do need to have some money, but you don't need to have a lot. There's a very low barrier to entry in order to start as a real estate wholesaler and as an investor. Um, when I started, again, I started with a two $200 first premier credit card. If you know about first premier, it was a credit card for those who have terrible, well, not terrible, but people that are building up their credit. So I took that $200. I pulled me a list from a site called listsource.com. That's L-I-S-T list and source. S-O-U-R-C-E.com. And I identified areas where I wanted to try and buy houses. <clears throat> and I handwritten letters and sent those letters in the mail directly to those sellers. Okay. So yes, you can get started with little to no money, but you do need to have something set aside in your coffer in order to start wholesaling. One of the things that, that you definitely will need money for is earnest money deposits. There's a lot of people that say, well, you can start just by putting $10 down as an earnest money deposit. And what is an earnest money deposit? First of all, let me clarify that earnest money deposit is after you and the seller have an agreement and you say, okay, I'm going to purchase your house for $200,000. Then you will need to put earnest money, which is um, tangible resources to say that I'm vested in this transaction. You know, um, some people say, well, I put $10 earnest money down and that locks me in. Well, I used to believe that was the case and some people still do that. But in the court of law, the judge is going to look at if this ever happens to you on a tr transaction, the judge is going to look at what was your original intent. If your original intent was just to lock up that property with $10, then you're going to be not awarded or you're going to lose that case. The reason why I speak on this is because I had to go to court on a transaction where I put down $1,000 earnest money. <clears throat> and the seller actually had an old contract from another wholesaler that had a $10 earnest money deposit. And the judge looked at it and said, okay, well, who had the vested interest and was really looking to purchase this property? There were a lot of other factors that went along into it, but I won the case because of not only my vested interest, my earnest money, looked legit, but also some other outline factors that was going on with the case. Okay. So you will need earnest money deposit in order for you to secure those contracts. Next question. How do I build credibility in the real estate industry quickly? Um, if you're starting, that's one of the things that you will face, you will run up against. Uh, actually, is more psychologically than it is anything else. It's more kind of what you tell yourself versus what anyone else tells you. Um, one of the things when I got started, I always told myself, and it was part of my affirmations was, I am a multi-million dollar real estate investor. This is before I'd done any deals. This is before I started anything. I spoke that I am a multi-million dollar real estate investor. Well, does this provide credibility for 
an outside person. Absolutely not. But first, it starts from within. It provides credibility for myself. It's letting me know that I am a real estate investor. Taking it a next step further when someone else, let's just say if there is a seller that says, well, I received your letter or I received your phone call and I'm calling you back and I do want to sell my house. How do I know that this is not a scam? How do I know that you are actually legit? Okay, so two things come into place and it takes me back to the whole realtor aspect. If you have your license, and this is one of the things that I did in the beginning, and I'm not going to tell you anything that I haven't done or I haven't been through the trenches and completed, but one of the things that I would do since I was a licensed realtor, I provided them with a credibility packet. And we still do that to this day. They say, well, how do I know that you are legit? So I say, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, here's the brokerage that I work for or work with. Here's my real estate agent's license number. And I had an LLC and I said, here's my LLC showing again with my good standing certification from the state. So I provided them with a few things. I provided them, and this is before I've done a deal or anything like that. I provided them with credibility by showing them that, hey, I'm a licensed agent. And in order for you to be a licensed agent, you have to go through a background check. You have to pass the test and you have to show that you have fiduciary responsibilities to your clients. So that's one thing that I showed. So it immediately showed the seller that, okay, this person has credibility because, hey, they had to have a background check. So there's nothing on that background that deters me from doing business with them. They do have, they do work with the brokerage. So if anything goes awry, there is due recourse. They can have due recourse against me as the buyer because, hey, I can reach out to the brokerage or I could reach out to the state governing body that governs the license here in Arizona is the Arizona Department of Real Estate. And then in Illinois, it's, I can't remember the name of it, but so that, those were a few things that I use. And then also another thing that I use, I said, okay, my license, I had my LLC and the LLC was in good standing. So I showed them that certificate of good standing saying, okay, this is equity, realty, and investments. We are a licensed business in the state of Arizona, in the state of Illinois, in the state of Colorado, in the state of New York. You show that we are in good standings with the state. So there's no scam. Another thing that I would also send them would be just a picture of me and my family. That way they know exactly who they're doing business with. And if you don't have all of those things or some of those things, a good way to build credibility is partner with someone else that has been in the business for years. Um, so one of the things that I did was I partnered with someone that had great credibility in Arizona. So whenever I needed anything, I can lean on that person's experience. So if they said, well, I don't know exactly who you are, yada, yada, yada. And I can say, hey, well, this is my partner. This is who I partner with. 
It's been here in Arizona for over 20 years, been doing real estate for over 20 years. Look up his name, look up her name. You will see that there is that level of credibility there. So it's always good to partner up with someone that's already established, okay? Um, so that's how you can build up your credibility in the real estate industry pretty quickly. And then also you have to go out, you have to go to different events, meetups, start showing your face around the place. Even if you haven't done a deal, be authentic, be genuine, go to these places and meet people and say, Hey, you know what? I'm new. I'm exploring real estate, never done a deal, never done a transaction, but I believe that this is something that I absolutely want to do. And I'm willing to learn from quality investors. Okay. So networking, that's one of the ways that you could build credibility pretty quickly. Okay. Next question kind of goes into marketing. Where can I get the best list for direct mail? Um, and I'll say for marketing period, uh, there is no best list. Some people will say, all right, you can do pre foreclosures. You can do probates. You can do absentee owners. You could do absentee owners that live out of state. You can do tired landlords. You could do people that went through bankruptcy. You could do eviction notices, people that have their water shut off, the properties that have the water shut off, showing that it's vacant. There's tons of lists out there. There's no one end-all be-all list to where it's going to make you millions and millions of dollars, okay? Um, but the thing is, having a targeted niche on where you're going to work. So one thing that I always tell people is have that zip code that you want to work. It could be your home zip code where you live at, or it could be a zip code that you know where, hey, I'm driving through the neighborhood and I'm seeing a lot of um, construction trucks and big, long waste management garbage bins where people are doing rehabs. If you see that, then target that that zip code and then look for absentee owners, then look for probates or look for pre foreclosures in that zip code. So one of the places where you can go to find the information on a zip code is you can go to again, listsource.com. You could put the zip code in there. Let's just say eight, five, zero, one, four, you say, I want to target properties in 85014 zip code. What do I need to do? What information do I need to get in order to pull leads from this zip code? You can go to list source and you can put in an equity position. I'm looking for properties where people own their house for at least four years and they have at least 50% equity in their properties. And you can purchase that list, download that list, have it skip traced. And skip tracing means you have the name of the seller, you'll have the address or the name of the owner, you'll have the address of the owner. You can run it through a system as far as batch skip tracing, lead Sherpa. There's plenty of different skip tracing, skip tracing companies that you can use. Uh, and they will give you the telephone number. So you'll have the name, you'll have the property address, you'll have the telephone number. And then you can just call those individuals right on the phone. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I am Janice and I'm looking to purchase properties in 
zip code just out of curiosity just wondering if you or if any of your neighbors that's interested in selling conversation as simple as that okay that can be the opening line to your conversation okay next question is let's see how many times should I mail a prospect? That's a good question. Uh, normally, I would say at least minimum five times. Some people will say up to seven times. Um, I would say a minimum of five times, but again, it depends on your budget. If your budget warrants you to where you can always mail them and never stop, always mail them and never stop. The reason being is because um, it's an event-based business. And at one point, let's just say if you sent the direct mail piece today in November and you get no response, but then in February, an event happened in that family's life to where now they need to pick up and move because the husband or the wife received a great job offer out of state or God forbid someone passed away and now they need to sell that house. You want to make sure that you are in line when that event happens. The worst thing you can do is to start marketing and then stop marketing. You always want to continue marketing to those prospects. Okay. <clears throat> What makes a great direct mail piece? As long as that direct mail piece has a call to action. What is a call to action? Where you tell them to do something. So a great direct mail piece is simple, basic, and has a call to action. Basically, if I was to read a direct mail piece, it would say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, I see you own the property at 123 Main Street. Are you interested in selling? We or I or my family purchased properties in this zip code of 85014 completely with cash. We will pay all closing costs. You will not have to pay any concessions or any commissions, I'm sorry, to a realtor. You will not have to do any repairs and we can close on a date of your choice. If you are interested in such an offer or receiving an offer from us, give me a call. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Again, feel free to give me a call at that telephone number. And that's your call to action. And then one of the things that we always say at the bottom of our letter is, P.S., feel free to hold on to this letter. If now is not a good time, hold on to the letter and you can call us in the future. So many times that we have had people that held our letter for six, seven, eight months, and they ended up giving us a call. Or the individual that we sent the letter to passed away. The kids were coming to clean out the properties, and they found a letter and gave us a call. This absolutely happened to one of our flips that we did in the Midwest. The mom passed away and the kids found the, the letter and gave us a call and we were able to flip that property and made 
like $90,000 on that one transaction. Okay. That's what makes a great direct mail piece. I mean, you can, you can have, it could be colorful. It could be black or white. It could be a postcard. It could be a letter. I believe in letters, but letters, it's a little bit harder because not only do you have the letter, but you have the envelope. That envelope has to be attractive to make them want to open that envelope to read the letter. So most, some people believe only in postcards, <clears throat> but I've seen both work. So postcards or letters really doesn't matter. I know some real estate investors that had success with both and having success with both. You just need to start marketing, basically just start marketing. What's the best way to handle inbound responses from sellers? <clears throat> For one, again, it's to be genuine, be authentic. If a seller gives you a call, um, an inbound call, they're showing some level of interest, even if it's out of curiosity, even if they're just curious, why did I receive this letter? Respond, let them know. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Seller. I'm Marcus. You received that letter because we're looking to buy properties in this zip code. As you can see, I'm saying the same thing. It's the same introductory message. There's no reason to try and reinvent the wheel. There's no reason to try and have this spectacular letter or the spectacular opening phrase, you want to make sure that they receive the information and that you can provide what they're looking for. Not every seller is going to be interested in selling. Not every buyer is going to be interested in buying. But as long as you're on the phone having conversations, you're one step closer to getting that deal. Again, what's the best way to handle inbound responses from a direct mail piece or from marketing? to pick up the phone answer the phone do not be afraid to answer the phone and one of the things that when i got started i used to be so scared to get on the phone because <clears throat> i was definitely a more introvert than extrovert and actually all of that has changed now but one of the things that i would do was when someone would give me a call i wouldn't sit down i would pick up the phone and I walk around. If it's walking around the office, walking around the house, I will walk around, keep my energy high, keep my levels high and just have that, that candid conversation with them. Yes, we are interested in buying properties in 85014. Do you, are you interested in selling? If so, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, that sounds great. Walk me through the property. I'm here on the phone. Just help me visualize what I'm seeing in the property. And then also, why are you interested in selling? So ask the open-ended questions, let them talk. One of the things that you should hang your hat on is let the seller talk 75% of the time, you talk 25% of the time. And that may be even too much. And when you're talking, you're basically just asking questions. Okay. How can wholesale deals be found on the MLS? It's a little difficult to find great deals on the MLS, but it's not impossible. So only thing I can do is reference when I was doing deals on the MLS, this was coming out of the bus. So this was like 2010, 2011. Again, I had 
my credibility partner, the person that I considered my mentor, they had been doing real estate for over 20 years. They provided me with everything that I needed. So I found a realtor that was very aggressive and he would send me all listings that were on the market for over 90 days. And we're with the market change, we're starting to get back to longer listings on the market. So you can use this as one of your ways to market right now. He would send me all of the listings and I would go through and I would spend hours and hours at a time writing up offers and he would submit those offers. We would write up offers, submit the offers. And he would, because realtors only deal with other realtors on listed properties, he would submit the offers. And I would say 98% of them got kicked back and saying, nope, they're not interested in our offer or they wouldn't even respond. But that small little 2% was what helped me get started. So he would, I would make the offers. I would run the numbers. Again, I would learn from my mentor, what should we offer? We would make the offer. And then if the offer came back as accepted, then wow, we got a deal. So you can definitely offers on MLS listed properties. It's easier if you're already an agent. If not, you need to find a, I would say younger, more aggressive agent. Because when you're dealing with a seasoned agent, they already have clientele. They're already working. They're already doing deals. But the people that just got their license just coming out, they're trying to find a way. They're trying to find their way in the real estate industry and they're willing to work with almost anyone. So you can have them submitting tons of offers for you and see if you can get something accepted. Okay. What information and tools are there for evaluating deals? Uh, very good question. So how do you evaluate a deal? One of the ways that I encourage people to value deals is to join other wholesalers buyers list, get on that buyers list. And when they start sending you deals and sending out deals, you evaluate those deals. You look at the property address and you do your comps in that area where that property is. And you can try and find out, Hey, let me figure out what the ARV is, the after repair value after the property is already fixed up. How much is it worth? Just say if the after repair value is 470 and the wholesaler has it out to the buyer's list for 370, then look at the pictures, try and estimate the repairs. Okay. <clears throat> new flooring is needed. A new kitchen is needed. New windows, new bathroom, everything like that. I'd rather you overestimate the repairs than underestimate the repairs. That's one of the mistakes that newer investors have is that they underestimate the repair costs. It would say a house that needs to be completely gutted. It would say, okay, well, the repairs here are about $20,000 when the repair cost could be 50, 60, $70,000. Okay. One of the things that I want you to understand is don't feel embarrassed if you make a mistake. That's the best way to learn. Failure is the best teacher. Failure is the best teacher. I failed so many times at this business and my first transaction, again, I didn't know what I was doing when I came 
to Arizona. I didn't know the East Valley from the West Valley, from the North, from the, but I got this property under contract for, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was in the West Valley, it was $175,000. Got the property under contract. The after repair value for that house was $175,000. So I didn't leave any room for rehab costs. I didn't leave any room for me to earn a commission. I didn't leave any room for the investor after they do the fix and flip to make any money. But what I did learn is by doing that, I had a few investors reach out to me saying, Hey, I know you don't know what you're doing, but we're looking for people that are just like you. That's assertive. That's out trying to find deals. Why don't you come and work with us? And that's how that mentorship opportunity uh, arrived. Okay. What was the original question? What information and tools are there for evaluating deals? Again, go on, be on other investors, buyers list. One of the things that you can also do is look at the other properties in the area. Look at the fix, the finishes of those properties and look at then what they're selling. That's one way to evaluate deals. Another way to evaluate deals is you know, running comps, you're definitely going to want to run comps. There's a free resource that you can use, which is redfin.com forward slash what's my home worth. You can put the address of a home and it'll show you all of the details about the home and properties that sold in that area around it. So that's one free resource. Okay. Which properties are worth visiting and which properties are not worth visiting? In the beginning, I would say sharpen your skills, go to every property. If a seller calls you and they say they're interested in selling, I advise you to go to every appointment. And the reason why you want to go to every appointment, even if you don't get the deal, you want to sharpen your skills. Okay. You want to be able to visualize when I go up to the door, what's going to happen? When I'm talking to the seller, what are we talking about? What am I looking for when I walk through the property? What you know, questions am I going to ask? Only way you can get better at this is by trial and error, and that's by doing. Not by reading books or watching YouTube videos, but it's actually by doing. Because each conversation with the seller is going to be... One seller may say, I need to move so I can accept this job out of state. The other seller may say, well, you know what? I really don't need to move. I have tenants living here and they're paying their rent on time, but I'm interested in an offer. Which properties are worth visiting in the beginning? All properties. Okay. After you've done this for a while, you'll start to pick up on trends and notice key phrases that sellers will. You'll be able to spot that motivation. Motivation such as the property is vacant or my tenants tore the property up or I didn't have insurance and the property is damaged. The property is in disrepair. Um, I have squatters in the property. Those are motivating key factors to where you want to try and get out there and take a look at that property because that seller is kind of motivated to sell that property. Okay. So those are definitely properties that you want to go out and visit. Okay. I would go out on all appointments. If somebody said that they were interested in selling, I would chalk it up and I would just go out to the appointment 
because I was using that to sharpen my skills. I was using that to work on what I needed to work on. Okay. How do investors accurately estimate repairs for property? That's a very good question. And let me see what's the easiest way to answer this question. Estimating repairs. One, one thing that you can do is you can contact contractors. Let's just say if there's a flooring contractor, you say, okay, sir, I have a 1500 square foot home. I want to redo all of the carpet in the bedrooms. There's three bedrooms about how much is it per square foot to replace carpet? Then you get the per square foot price to replace carpet. How much is it per square foot to redo all of the tile? How much is it per square foot to redo all the uh, hardwood flooring or refinish the flooring? That way you can start putting a dollar amount on each per square foot. So now you say, okay, this property is 1500 square feet. There's three bedrooms. Let's just say each bedroom is 120 square feet. So you're at 360 square feet, then multiply that by whatever number that they give you. If they say, hey, it costs $1.25 per square foot to replace all of the flooring. So then you take 125 times, what do we say, 360? And then that's your answer for your four kitchens and bathrooms. Normally, most kitchens, we always like to do light, medium, and complete gut. A light kitchen rehab can be six to 8,000. Medium can be 10 to 12. And then like a full gut with a really nice kitchen can be upwards of $20,000. But you got to remember, it all depends on the fixes and finishes. You're not going to spend... $20,000 on a bathroom if it's in an area where the houses are only $70,000. And you're not going to spend $20,000 on a kitchen if the houses are $900,000. It's going to be more. Okay, so that's why it's a little bit difficult to estimate the repair costs. The best way to do it is if you're going out with a seller, then see if you could take a contractor with you on a couple of different projects. Make sure you inform them, hey, we are interested in buying this property. We don't know if this is the one that we're going to buy, but I want you to come out, walk with me and give me some estimates on the repair costs, okay? You don't wanna burn your bridges. You don't wanna do that 15, 20 times with eight different, eight different contractors, okay? You don't wanna waste anybody's time because again, you don't wanna get a bad name. You don't want to have a bad name. All right. So you're going to need to estimate the roof, roof. You're going to need to estimate plumbing, electrical, all of those things. So you can, a lot of times you could just pick up the phone and call those companies. Hey, I have a roof that I need replaced. And I just want a quick estimate. And it could just be an over the phone estimate. The house is 1500 square feet. It's not a real high pitch on a roof. I'm doing regular shingles. Just give me a ballpark on how much that'd be. That's it. Hey, it'd be probably be around between eight and $10,000. Now, okay, your roof between eight and $10,000. All right, let's see. When should transactional or and hard money lenders be used? Great question. If you're wholesaling 
the majority of the time, you're not going to need a hard money lender because you are just going to wholesale that transaction to someone else. But for transactional funding, let's just say if you're in the state or there's a title company that don't allow assignments, you're going to need transactional funding. And transactional funding is just a lender that will say, all right, I will loan you this $100,000. It don't come to you. It's not in your hands. They just wire it to the title company or to the attorney. It sits there, right? And then your in buyer, because you're doing a double close, your in buyer will then come and purchase that property, let's just say for $115,000. The transactional funder will get his money back, his $100,000 plus whatever interest is need to be paid on that. And then you'll get the remaining money. And all of that money comes from your end buyer. So let's put it this way. You're getting a loan from a transactional funder, transactional lender for $103,000. Okay. This is to close the A to B transaction. Then you have a buyer that's going to come and close the B to C transaction. So the A to B transaction is between you and the original seller. The B to C is between you and your new buyer. So you're getting the property, you're buying the property from the seller for $100,000. The transactional lender is wiring $100,000 over to the title company or the attorney to close out the first leg of the transaction. Okay. It sits there for maybe an hour. Now your buyer comes in because you sold the property, same property that you got for $100,000. You sold it to them for $115,000. They will wire in their $115,000. And then the split, let's just say if the hard money lender or the transactional lender says, I'll wire in the $100,000, but it's going to cost you $2,000 for me to do this. So now you owe them $102,000 but your buyer is giving you $115,000. So now, the, once the $115,000 comes in, the $102,000 goes to the transactional funder and you keep the difference, which is that $13,000, okay? So that's when you would use transactional funding. Normally, that's only done if it's a double close in certain states because in a lot of states you can still double close and you don't need to have transactional funding. Hard money lenders are used if you're going to take the property down. And that means you're actually going to close on a property and you need money. The difference between a hard money lender and a traditional Wells Fargo, Bank of America, or something like that is the speed. You're paying for the convenience. A hard money lender will approve the money, the $100,000 in a matter of a couple of days, maybe a week, where if you go to a big bank, a large financial institution, it'll take 30 days. So if you have a deal and you need to close on that deal fast, you can go to a hard money lender. Now, another thing about the hard money lender is their interest rates are going to be higher. So right now we're in an economy where the interest rates are roughly around 7%. Well, that hard money lender, that interest rate is going to be 10% or above. Okay. But you're only using that money for a short period of time. Normally it's only for a 12 month period. Okay. So that's more so with fix and flips, or if you're looking to get 
into a property and then quickly refinance out of that hard money loan to get a more traditional, more stable loan. Okay. That is transactional funding and using hard money lenders. And all of these resources are great for getting into a deal. One of the mistakes that a lot of people make is that I don't have the money to get into the deal. Well, there's tons of money out here if you know exactly where to look. And the places you need to go are your local RIA. You can ask other investors. One of the things that I'm known for is if I'm driving through a neighborhood and I see that there's a big dumpster in the front or there's contractors working in that property, I'm going in. Hey, because you just never know. You may find another buyer that's looking to fix and flip another property. He's all, this person is already contracted working on this property. And they may want another property in that area. Two, you may find a good quality contractor. You go there, you start looking at the work and say, hey, you know what? Let me get a card. Now you have a contractor. You never know. It may be a realtor on site that you can build that relationship with that realtor. If you're driving around, I know it's winter right now, but in the spring, there's a lot of activity. In the summer, there's a lot of activity. Be nosy, inquisitive. Go in and say, hey, you're doing a fix and flip here. Are you looking for more deals in this area? If it's the contractor, hey, are you looking for more work? Give me a card. I might want to use you. And then if it's a realtor, you never know. Hey, realtor, I'm an investor. Send me any pocket listings that you possibly have. If you know of anybody that's interested in selling, we pay cash for properties. Give me a call. Here's my card or here's my number. All right. We are almost done here. It's 447. I just want to make sure I get through the majority of the question questions. If you have any questions, please let me know. That way I can answer those questions for you. We're live on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube also. Let's see. How do I buy houses that are in foreclosure? Normally, if the property is in foreclosure, it's owned by the bank and you would need to go through the traditional process of trying to contact that bank or whoever the agent is that represents that bank. And you would just put in an offer on that property. If the property is possibly in foreclosure and it's not listed with an agent or anything like that, then you would definitely have to do your homework and find out what bank it's with and who's who's monitoring those assets in that portfolio and try and find a telephone number for that individual. Let's see, what questions should I should be asked when purchasing internet leads? Good question. Um, I'm not a real fan of purchasing leads from off the internet. I know there are a couple of sites that do provide quality leads one of them, I can't, I can't remember the name right off the top of my head, but what you should do is when you're purchasing leads from the internet, you want to make sure it's a reputable company, not just someone. Oh, okay. You know what? I'm sorry. I got the question wrong. It's what questions should be asked when purchasing leads for you to skip trace from the internet. So 
really there's no questions that you need to ask you just need to again identify what area that you want to be in again if it's use that same example if it's 85014 what are you looking for what type of houses or what type of situations are you looking for in that zip code are you looking for tired landlords are you looking for houses that are in distress are you looking for vacant properties that's what you want to look for and by looking for that you can go to list source or prop stream and put those values in there and then it will generate the results and it will show you all of the homes that's in 85014 zip code that is vacant or it'll show you every home in 85014 that has tons of equity in it and had a recent eviction or something like that so you can go to listsource.com or you can go to propstream.com and then with propstream i do have a promo code um it is we love equity if i'm not mistaken i can't remember right off the top of my head we love equity is the promo code so you can get a 7 day free trial but you know just reach out to me you're on social media just shoot me a dm and i'll provide that promo code for you so you can try it out for 7 days all right so it is 51 after 9 minutes till i wanted to be on for an hour and answer questions we answered about 12 questions i have tons more here but i can't get to all of them i want to do this quite often let you guys know that i'm here for you i want to answer those questions for you if you're looking to get into real estate investing make sure you reach out to me you can go to my website marcusemali.com there's tons of free resources there there's a free purchase contract there we have a podcast where we speak with newer investors as well as high level investors that own hundreds of homes so you could subscribe to the podcast we have our youtube channel which is mrcs maloney youtube channel and then just reach out because we have tons of information it's not just me it's a team of us we've been doing this for again over 10 years we close a transaction today we have another one closing next week actually one closing today we have two closing next week so we're actually out here doing deals i'm not just behind a computer talking to people but we are actually doing real estate transactions i also have a portfolio of rentals residential and commercial again lean on me i'm a wealth of information for you and if i don't know the answer i can definitely get the answer for you one of the things that i do want you to do is if this have been quality information for you please let me know please like subscribe slide into my dms let me know i have a gift for you a purchase contract and this is a purchase contract that i've used to make me over $30,000 on transactions that we use in multiple markets you can go to marcusemaloney.com again it's marcusemaloney.com download that free purchase contract and you can use that and you will also receive a video on how to complete that that contract also so thank you for being here i really appreciate it again let's be friends let's connect go to my website join us on facebook instagram twitter i'm going to be trying to do this every other friday i uh, try and make it my business to do this every other friday and then also if you're looking to get started go to 
azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. It's not only me, but it's my partner. We have over 20 years of experience in this business, and we want to work with you hand in hand. We have a small group of newer investors that we're working with. One of the transactions that we closed today was actually a transaction from one of our students. So she made her first close on her first transaction today. And I went out, walked the property with her, helped her, got everything done. So if that's something you're interested in, again, go to azdfc.com. All right, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And our podcast comes out every other Monday, every other Monday. And we're talking about wholesaling, again, all the way up to apartment complex investing. All right, signing off. Guys, always remember to enjoy the journey. Wow, those were a lot of questions and a lot of answers. I hope you gained a lot of information from this episode. Remember, I'm going to be doing more educational episodes for you all. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you tune in, lock in with me, with us, as we are doing some things here with our students and with our uh, partners on getting more deals done. So if you want additional information, you know exactly how to reach me. Um, Go to MRCS Maloney at YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or go to my my website, MarcusEMaloney.com, where you can download free purchase contracts, schedule uh, some time with me, and just see if we're a good fit. If you're looking for someone to really show you and really teach you how to get started as a real estate investor the correct way with ethics and doing things you know, according to like the Department of Real Estate Standards, feel free to reach out to me because I can definitely help you. Me and my partner, Mike, have over 20 years combined experience in doing this. And there has not been a deal that we have not seen. We have closed deals with liens. We have closed deals with title issues. We have closed probate deals, pre-probate deal, uh, IRS liens, tax liens, uh, let's see. Wow. Properties where we had to find descendants from three generations. Um, you know, out of state deals where we've never spoken or never seen or met the sellers. Um, so we all in all, we can definitely help if you're looking to get started and you haven't done a deal. Um, I believe that we have the best content, the best quality content that can really help you get started. So again, you want more information, go to my website, MarcusEMaloney.com. And if you have questions, feel free again to slide into my DMs. I'll make sure I answer those questions right there in my DMs. Or what I'll do is I'll collect the list of questions and I'll do a Q&A like this again. That way I can answer all of those questions and you guys can go back and listen to the recording. So again, thank you so much. It's Marcus Maloney. We love Equity Real Estate Show. You know what to do. Always, always get out there and enjoy the journey.